Consider the poet Alfred Lloyd Tennyson's expression about the constellation of Orion and the star cluster of the Pleiades. Quote, Many a night from yonder ivied casement, ere I went to rest, did I look on great Orion sloping slowly to the west. Many a night I saw the Pleiades rising through the mellow shade, glitter like a swarm of fireflies, tangled in a silver braid. It is a beautiful and poetic description of stars, perfectly legitimate ways to understand their nature, apart from their chemical composition, size, apparent magnitude, and distance from us. In a letter written to Edward Allen in 1952, C.S. Lewis expressed his fondness for Orion and the Pleiades, quote, I am all with you about Orion. It's nice to live in the northern hemisphere because the winter stars are much better than the summer ones, and of course, one sees more of them when the nights are longest. The whole combination of Sirius, Orion, Aldebaran, Pleiades is magnificent. I wonder what constellation our sun forms part of as seen from the planets, if any, of Sirius." End quote. There are a multitude of stories and myths surrounding this little grouping of blue-white stars. The most familiar to our time are those of the ancient Greek legends of the Seven Sisters, the daughters of Atlas and Pleione. In her book, The Seven Sisters of the Pleiades, Munya Andrews recalls the mythical influences of the famous celestial sisterhood and their titan father. Quote, Atlas, one of seven titans who plotted and fought against Zeus, the king of the Greek gods, and his Olympian associates, was severely punished and made to bear the burden of the whole world upon his shoulders for eternity. In the meantime, the sisters, who were in train to the goddess Artemis as young nymphs, each went on to influence the course of human history by marrying kings and giving birth to gods and heroes who laid the foundations of many civilizations including the ancient city-state of Troy." End quote. And from time immemorial, this dazzling little cluster of stars has been associated with sisters. In addition, Andrews notes that, quote, many cultures have emphasized the collective bunched nature of the Pleiades star cluster, end quote, pointing out that they appear twice in the book of Job, quote, where they are referred to as kima, a Hebrew term for cluster or heap. The Pawnee Indians of the North American plains look on them as symbols of unity and pray to these stars to teach people how to be as united as them, end quote. In The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien mentions the Pleiades Cluster, quote, known in the ancient days of Middle-earth as Rimrath, the netted stars, end quote. In Japan, the Pleiades are known as Subaru, which means unite. The car manufacturer of the same name has as its emblem the familiar cluster of celestial sisters. Subaru's website has a page with information about the cluster, including the names of the sisters and what they mean. The brightest stars of the sisters, visible to the naked eye, is Alcyon. According to Subaru's website, Alcyon is the, quote, queen who wards off evil, end quote. It is fascinating to see the interdisciplinary aspects of a modern automobile manufacturer discoursing about the stories 
behind an ancient cluster of stars they have as a symbol on all their automobiles. There is more antiquity to our modernity than we can imagine. Scientifically speaking, Alcyon has a radius of some 8 to 10 times larger than our own sun, making it 7 to 8 million miles in diameter. In mythology, Alcyon was known to Arab cultures as Al-Wasat, the central one, and Al-Nair, the bright one. Hindus called the star Amba, meaning the mother, or Arundhati, quote, wife of the chief of the seven sages, end quote, to whom newlyweds would offer their obeisance. Throughout the Greek legends, Alcyon has always been the leader of the heap, bringing unity to the other sisters. Another fascinating star in the sisterly net is Merope. She burns some 630 times more brightly than our own sun, and she spins at an equatorial speed of over 626,000 miles per hour. A supersonic celestial ballerina. Whether it be the stories ancients have told of them, or whether it is the science behind the stars we know today, the Pleiades remain a familiar yet fascinating and easily recognizable open star cluster. We do not tire of their beauty. The Pleiades ultimately remind us of God's glory, of his faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. The Lord declares through the prophet Jeremiah that the fixed regularity, the fixed order of the heavens, is like his covenant love and faithfulness to us. Though we at times can't see the stars, whether it's because of light pollution or adverse weather, we know, like God, that they are always there. So come and see how the Pleiades declare the glory of God with Wayne and me on this episode of Good Heavens. Well, good heavens, Wayne. We're back at it again. How's it going? Good heavens. We're still at it. We are still at it after almost, well, it's been over four years now, and we're still so talking about the universe. Four years and counting. And counting. And it's it's fun, and I enjoy every episode we do. That's right. Me too. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about um, one of... My favorite all-time things to see in the night sky. You don't need a telescope. Don't need special star knowledge. You just need to know where to look and when to look. We're going to talk about the Pleiades. The Pleiades star cluster. Yeah, and Dan, it's one of the most one of the most beautiful uh, pictures you can find. Is uh, some of these great pictures of the Pleiades that, uh, that, that are around. I when I was a kid. I used to think it was the Little Dipper because it looks like a little shopping basket. <laughs> but it's not the Little Dipper because the Little Dipper is around the Polaris star, Polaris, which is the North Star. And uh, this this uh, little star cluster we're going to talk about tonight, you've probably seen it on a car before. Now, we've talked about this, I think, I've probably mentioned this a million times because I drive a car with Pleiades on it. The Subaru Outback, and any Subaru car, has the emblem of the Pleiades on it. It's those uh, 
big stars on the Subaru emblem. Uh, Subaru is a Japanese auto manufacturer transportation company. I think it was back in the 50s. They formed this conglomerate transportation company and used the star cluster of the Pleiades because Subaru in Japanese means unity, Wayne. Being being unified. Something to keep in mind as we go through this podcast tonight. We're going to talk about unity because we're going to be talking about stars that are clustered together. Not just the Pleiades, but you're going to give us a rundown of star clusters. And then I bet people, maybe some of our listeners would know, the Pleiades is one of the few star, well, it's not a constellation, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, It's part of the constellation of Taurus, the bull. But the Pleiades is a star cluster, one of the few arrangements of stars that are mentioned by name in the Bible four times or three times. Three times or four? Let's see. It's uh, Job 38, Amos, uh, Job 9, Job 38, and Amos 5, 8 all mention the Pleiades, and we're going to read those. And so, um, and 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 they they all mention Orion with, uh, or close to the Pleiades. So Pleiades and Orion are kind of described together. And now we're recording this in uh, mid-October of 2021. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you can see the Pleiades in the early morning hours before sunrise. Uh, and as fall turns into winter, the Pleiades will become visible in the evenings as we go into the dark, wintry months. And yeah, and Dan, uh, since we're talking about the observations a little bit, if people may know how to find the Orion uh, constellation in the sky, the, the kind of bow tie shape with the three dots that are, are the belt of Orion, right? That's it. So, so those three stars and that make the belt or the middle of the bow tie they point in the general direction towards the pleiades right so the orion is about the only constellation that looks like what people say it is looks like a man i mean it's giant it's shining he has a belt uh it's it's rectangular in shape with four corner stars and then you've got those three belt stars as you as you name um Mintaka, Alnalam, and Alnatak are the name of the belt stars in Orion. But you're right. The three belt stars in Orion point to a very distinctive V uh, as you go from uh, left to right. If you're looking at Orion and you go just to your right, you follow the belt, you see this little V. And that's the Hyades star cluster. That's the horns of the Taurus the bull. And you'll notice, even if it's a good night and you're out in dark skies, that Taurus the bull has a red eye. That is the star Aldebaran, one of my favorite star names, Aldebaran. And just behind the V, so you go from Orion's belt, the V, the red Aldebaran, and then just behind the V is our little shopping basket of cute little netted stars we call the Pleiades. Very easy to see, and uh, you might think, oh, that's the Little Dipper. No, that's what I used to think uh, long ago, but that is the Pleiades, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, uh, and... You do need a, a good dark sky to see yes. it, uh, yes. and uh, it helps actually if you don't look directly at it. If you look off to the side a little bit, because then your the the rods of your eyes are more sensitive to the dim light, and it right. helps a little bit. Right, right. You, you, we always tend to have the we we want to look directly at it to see something, but. Sometimes dimmer objects, it's better to look off to the side a little bit. If you're in a big city, 
or Target or Walmart parking lot or something, you're not going to see these things. Um, light pollution pretty much wipes them out. Um, you really have to get out in the dark sky to really be able to look up directly at them and see them. I'm fortunate where I live out in the country. You can see them in all their glorious splendor in the morning. I love getting up in the morning and looking outside and seeing the Pleiades. And uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. I, I just It's a very, you know, it's, it's interesting, Wayne. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I love, you know, I love stargazing. It's just a very calming thing for me. And the Pleiades are just, they just remind me of God's faithfulness. Uh, and they're just so calming. They're so beautiful. And like you said, when we started, you look through it, you look through a telescope and you see some of the photographic images of the Pleiades cluster. And they're in this beautiful sort of lattice of, of, of what looks like smoke or, or haze or, or dust. And they're just wispy and blue and beautiful, and they're all kind of together. It's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, cluster of stars. It's very comforting for me to see the Pleiades. It's my favorite time of year and uh, my favorite thing. I love Orion, Taurus, and the Pleiades. It's, just, uh, it's the signs for the fall and winter days. And um, so, Wayne, why don't we get into the ancientness of the Pleiades? They go all the way. Now, this is really fascinating to me because uh, I don't know what the, the the Hebrew word, I should have looked this up. The Hebrew word for Pleiades is not Pleiades. Um, that's the uh, Anglicanized or the English translation of the Hebrew word. But most scholars believe that that's the reference to the cluster uh, of stars that we call the Pleiades. Now, if... These are mentioned twice in the book of Job. And the events described in the book of Job, I think we've talked about this before, are probably pre-Abraham, I would say. Not not when it was written necessarily, but when the events that are recorded in Job, um, some scholars believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And so it, it may, Abra, uh, Job could have been a contemporary or even exist, had, had existed before Abraham. So we're talking about something ancient, very old. Well, I would, I was kind of more under the impression that Job would be sometime after, uh, not long after Abraham. Maybe. Okay, it's right around that time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm maybe not. Maybe Jacob or something might yeah, be more about I'm, right, but I don't know. Something like that. It's, yeah, I'm not trying to be precise about it, and I apologize for not having an exact date for that. But it's uh, it's an old book. And uh, all that to say that the Pleiades have been around for a long time. Pleiades and Orion are referencing Greek myths, which mm-hmm. is uh, comes along much later than Job. But these the constellation names are very ancient, and ancient enough that we can't track down where they come from. Right. Um, you uh, mentioned the Greeks. Let me just quickly mention that one of the earliest mentions of the Pleiades appears in the Eratus poem. Um, the Greek poet Eratus, or Eratus, is uh, the Greek poet that Paul quotes in Acts 17. The Phenomena is the name of Eratus's or Eratus's poem. In that poem, which is believed to have been written in the 3rd century B.C., Eratus mentions the Pleiades. So that goes all the way back to 3rd century B.C. Uh, let me just... Well, let's read the Bibles first before I get into the Eratus. But uh, the Pleiades are mentioned in ancient Greek Greek poetry, also Hesiod and Homer. Homer goes all the way back to, uh, you could say, 8th century B.C. or 7th century B.C., depending on what scholarship you're reading. 
But Homer mentions the Pleiades when he's talking about the scene where Hephaestus, the, the smith, the ironsmith, is making Achilles' shield, all those designs on it, and uh, Homer mentions the Pleiades. So we have Eratus, we have Homer, we have Hesiod, the Pleiades in ancient Greek literature in the B.C., a couple centuries, several centuries before Jesus. So let's talk about the biblical references to the Pleiades. Let's do it. Okay, Dan, how about Job 9 first? Job 9, we'll start there. Go for it. Uh, Job 9, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Okay. In the Old Testament. So, he speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Of course, that's referring to God. That's great. I love I love that verse. Um, yeah. The second mention of the Pleiades is also found in Job. And actually, this is fascinating to me. I love it. Because it is God himself who is speaking these names. Now, of course, like you said, and we said, these names in the Bible are Hebrew, and we've Anglicanized or put our English version on them, the Greek Orion Pleiades, etc. But uh, scholars believe that's an accurate translation. But God himself here, when he's talking to Job, he's responding to Job about creation. What do you know about creation, Job? Let me ask you some questions. And uh, so the second reference we have to the Pleiades is in uh, Job 38. Why don't you read the context, the context of all of that? Yeah, I, Dan, if we were listening to God speak this to us, we would be afraid. And, we would uh, be afraid. Say a, we'd be afraid to say a word. But uh, I had to, this verse is significant, and I had to uh, change my view and my understanding of this verse at one point. And I actually came out in print on that. But anyway, uh, this is a really great verse. Job 38, and I'm going to read 31 through 33. It says, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Now, Dan, I'm reading from the NIV, um, and it uses those words bind and loose. Mm-hmm. In, in other um, Bible versions, you'll see different language there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, binding and loosing. Um, keep that in mind because we, we remember we, we talked about what, the, what it means in Japanese is this unity, this grouping together. And so now we have here in a reference this, this, this reference that God makes of, of uh, binding the Pleiades. And some translations will render it, uh, can you... Uh, can you bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades? Yes. Um, but can you bind, can you loose? We'll keep that in mind as we go through this. I want to read Amos 5.8. It sounds a little bit like Job 9 that you read just a minute ago, but it's uh, Amos 5.8. It says, He who made Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. 
he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. And this is talking, you mentioned about being afraid of hearing God's voice. Um, like Job, Amos is, is proclaiming God's power over creation. Did you notice the reference there? And I read verse 8 and 9. The reference there about darkening day and calling for water um, and then flashing forth with destruction upon the strong. There's a sense of judgment here. So not only is the Pleiades, and we mentioned the binding in Pleiades, there's a sense of judgment with this binding uh, that's going on in this. God has sovereign, complete sovereign control and power over the stars. Isaiah forty twenty six. lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who calls them forth by name. Not one of them is missing because of the strength of his might. And so, you know, God commands us to look up and remember the stars and with God's help and the Holy Spirit, the nature can remind us of biblical truth. If we're now, you can't just look at nature and get biblical truth from staring at stars. We're not saying that, but as Christians uh, who are led by the Spirit of God, we can use nature to remind ourselves of what God has done and will do, because uh, that's what Jesus did. He used nature parables all the time: seeds and water and birds and lilies and all this stuff. Yeah. So Dan, yeah, and. So we were talking about how ancient the constellation names are, and the you know the Greeks had a story about the Pleiades and Orion and how they they relate to the Greek mythology, right? Well, there are similar stories to that from other cultures that have other names and other characters in the story, but it's kind of the same story. Yeah, and so these there were very apparently very very ancient ancient times there were people who came up with stories about the stars in this maybe it was a way to remember the stars or maybe they believed things about the stars that we don't even know anymore mm-hmm. but at any rate uh, uh there's a kind of common knowledge among different cultures in ancient times of of these stories that go with the constellations apparently and now we think of it in terms of the greek names because that's what we are familiar with and that was translated that way mm-hmm. but you the same the same thing could be said with other names from ancient times mm-hmm. perhaps and we i don't know you know exactly what it brought to mind to job but some kind of story similar to the Greek story might have been known even in Job's time, even though it wasn't exactly the Greek story. Right. Uh, I want to read the Eratus poem. I hope I'm pronouncing him right. I, I, in my head, I say Eratus, and then maybe it's Eratus. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. So I apologize to my uh, more poetically and Greek-minded listeners uh, for not getting Eratus or Eratus. Um, but anyway, he Eratus, uh, Eratus in, um, in his... Uh, in his poem that I mentioned about three, 300 BC or uh, excuse me, third century BC, he has a little, uh, a little stanza of the Pleiades. And it says, uh, the Pleiades cluster wheels near his left knee. That would be the knee of Zeus. These sisters occupy a small space in heaven for a long time when they were considered to be females or birds. Uh, but, but a lot of cultures have a, a sisterly uh, connection to them. These sisters occupy a small space in heaven, and each sheds a little light. The bards, or poets, 
Count seven, but only six show plainly to the eye, though no star slipped unmentioned from the sky. Since sages started handing down wisdom, still I shall name all seven. Halcyon, Sterope, Tagita, Silano, Merope, Maia, and Electra. Though small, uh, though obscure and small, their fame is broad. At dawn and dusk they mark the year. Zeus drives them on to beacon summer, winter, and the fertile season to break the plows, to break out plows. So here, Eratus is mentioning how Zeus, the, the, the Greek chief deity, used the Pleiades to mark the seasons. But what do we really know about stars and seasons, Wayne? What does the Bible say in Genesis? They mark time for us. Mark- yeah, for signs, yeah. And for seasons. And for days mm-hmm. and for years. Now the seven. Now there is this legend of a missing one. There's no record of a supernova, but there is a legend that uh, because if you look up, if you're in a dark sky and you see the Pleiades, there's only six that you can see with the visible naked eye. You put a telescope on it, and suddenly there's hundreds. <laughs> I've seen the Pleiades through a telescope, and there are many, many more stars that you a telescope will bring in, but you can only really see six with a naked eye. And uh, the common names for the six that we have today are Atlas, Alcyon, Merope, Electra, Maia, and Tageta or Tagata. Uh, those are the common names that we have today of the six visible stars that are in the Pleiades cluster. Yeah, and Dan, uh, in the Greek story, Atlas was supposed to be the father of the uh, sisters. That is uh, correct. And then Orion was the... Uh, kind of the troublemaker who was chasing the sisters. Right, right. And then they, so, uh, the, the Pleiades were turned into stars so Orion wouldn't get them. <laughs> yes, safely out of, there's all kinds of legends about uh, Orion being a knucklehead, you know. <laughs> he's right. uh, he's uh, He's been around for a long time. Uh, he's in Job, actually, um, the, the verse we read in Job 38 the the Hebrew word, I do know this, I should have looked up the Hebrew word for Pleiades, but the Hebrew word for Orion in Job is Kesil or Kessel. Um, and it means, it's a common name in Hebrew for fool. So there's the word Kesil appears in Proverbs, the fool. And so it, it, in one sense, God is saying, can you loose the chains of a fool? <laughs> or can you loose the chains of fool? And uh, I'm sure Job would have understood what that meant. <laughs> can you, can you undo that? I, I mean, maybe I don't. I don't know for sure. Um, then there's a uh, an eighth century reference by Hesiod, the the Greek poet. Eighth century, around the time of Homer, um, and uh, Hesiod says of the Pleiades, when Atlas born, the Pleiades rise before the sun in the dawning skies. Tis time to reap, and when they set in the west. When the sun rises in the east, it is time to sow. So that is a reference going all the way back to 8th century BC Greece of how Pleiades is using is being used as uh, harvesting. And uh, one more one more legend. This is fascinating to me, Wayne. I think you'll like this one. Um, I did uh, some research um, for our book when I was doing research for our book. Um, story of the cosmos I compiled a lot of information about stars far more information than I ever actually got into the book and um, I ran across an article from NASA's Earth Observatory website I got this information in July of 2017 
I'm not sure exactly when the article was written, um, but this is a. I'm going to summarize this quote. It's fascinating. Um, for 400 years, Wayne, uh, there's a culture of people that live in Peru and Bolivia in the Andean Mountains. The Andean Mountain people um, know this has been going on for four centuries. Have used the Pleiades to know when to plant potatoes. You ever thought of French fries in the Pleiades? Well, <laughs> really? There you go. So next time you go out and you have fries and the Pleiades are out, I'm going to do this. You look up the Pleiades and have some fries or something. Anyway, <laughs> just being silly here. But um, the the Andean farmers for four centuries have a tradition. They go up on the top of a mountain uh, just a week before the Catholic festival celebrating St. John. Um, John, the writer of the Gospels, on June 24th, at midnight of the feast day, the villagers go up to this mountain, and they have a celebration, and they look for the northeast uh, where the Pleiades, they look for the heliacal rising of the Pleiades. Now, you know what heliacal means. It's the rising just before the sun. And so the farmers gaze, the farmers look at the, the sharpness or the fuzziness of the Pleiades. Now, on, on wintry nights, which are the favorite, my favorite time of year to look at stars, there's no humidity in the atmosphere, and so the stars are very shiny and clear. And um, of course, they're looking at this in June. And so, what they do is they, if the stars are fuzzy, or if the stars are sharp, will tell them when to plant for potatoes. Hmm. So, if it's dimmer. Uh, they will get less rain six months later. If it's brighter, they go ahead and plant. And what uh, NASA, what the scientists have figured out, and I don't know, I, I think this is common knowledge now, but they figured out that what they were actually observing was a sort of a, a weather predictive weather pattern of El Nino. So, <laughs> so they would wait to plant their potatoes so they wouldn't get swamped out by excessive rain. All by judging whether or not on the heliacal rising of June 24th of the Pleiades, they could just look at it and tell, the, tell if it was clear enough to go ahead and plant or wait. Yeah, That's so it would be, be just a little different uh, how clear it is based on our atmosphere. That's right. And they, they, they didn't know that, but that's what they were really seeing. That's what they were doing, yeah. Um, so um, you let's we, now we've, we've got some... Uh, literary background and some historical and cultural background to the Pleiades. Wayne, let's talk a little bit about star clusters in general. What is a star cluster? Now, this let me set this yeah. up for you. Let me set this up for you, and then you roll right into it. Our sun is ninety-three million miles away, and it is a um, hundred and nine Earths across the center. That's how. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you can imagine lining up Earths, a hundred and nine Earths will line up across the disk. Uh, 109 Earth diameters. 109 Earth. Um, yeah, so it's pretty Hulk and amazing. Now, we don't, thankfully, some people would say it's just a coincidence or a freak of nature, but it's a good thing that God, it's a good thing that we only live near one star, isn't it, Wayne? Well, it all depends on how God arranged it, you know. <laughs> there, there are planets out there that where there are multiple stars. Right, uh, right. But in terms of uh, feasibility for biological life yeah. as we know it, it would be it hard simp- to... It certainly simplifies things for us. Yeah. Right. But I want our listeners to picture our sky. We're used to just one sun. Imagine our sun, our sky, the sunrise 
I mean, this does happen, but the stars are far away. Every time the stars rise, well, it's just like a sunrise of multiple suns. But imagine stars close enough, like our sun, just filling our sky. Our sky is just filled with suns. Um, of course, that's what stars are. But imagine trying to give you this huge, this this perspective of how huge. I don't even know if huge is the right word. If you have one sun that has 109 Earths across it, star clusters, star clusters have hundreds of thousands of stars in them, clustered together like bees in a hive. It's amazing. So, Wayne, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about these wonderful things we call star clusters? Right. So, let me start with something I used to think about Job thirty eight thirty one and. And I came to the conclusion that I was wrong. So it says, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? So I was taking that, and others have done this too, but when it says bind, it sounds a lot like what astronomers talk about with star clusters. They would say some of them are bound, meaning that they are bound by gravity. It has to do with how close together they are. And and then where it talks about Orion, it describes them as loose. And we know that Orion are not a cluster. They're just uh, a group of stars. And from our perspective on Earth, we see them in a certain shape in the sky, right? But the Pleiades really are a cluster. Now, so there was some question for some time in the past whether the Pleiades were what scientists would call a bound cluster or not. But as uh, astronomers got better data about, and they became able to measure the distances to the stars better, it became clear that the uh, Pleiades are an unbound cluster. That means that they are they are moving together. Uh, they are moving together, but they are uh, not close enough to be bound by gravity. So they are very slowly drifting apart and they are in, they are a bunch of blue stars, which makes them so beautiful inside a uh, nebula. So there's gas around them and they're moving together through space uh, in this nebula. And you have this group of blue stars. So blue stars are very hot Mm-hmm. And and they're large, usually. So they're usually they would be bigger than our sun, and very bright. And so this makes for a great, great pictures. You know, absolutely. Uh, now, so I used to think that this was a, pl- a case where scripture was um, mentioning something ahead of science that it was describing that the Pleiades are a bound cluster and Orion is not a bound cluster. And that's actually wrong, um, because the Pleiades are not a bound cluster. They are an unbound cluster, or sometimes they're described as an open cluster. Or they, another term astronomers use is, uh, they'll say it's an association. An association means they are moving together, but they are not really bound together. They wouldn't stay together forever. They will eventually drift apart now in orion orion is a big constellation and there's a big nebula or the orion nebula there's a lot of things in orion 
But one of the things in Orion, there's actually a cluster in the Orion uh, constellation. And it's actually a smaller, but it has a lot of stars. I mean, it may have as many stars as the Pleiades or maybe more, but it's more compact. They're closer together. And Mm -hmm. so scientists believe it, it, it is a bound cluster. That is, okay. it's gravitationally bound. So if you kind of add up the gravity of all of them in a, a mathematical way, there's a mathematical way to do this. You can you can show that they they will stay together. They're bound by gravity. Okay. okay. Now, so there there are clusters of different sizes. So Pleiades is thought to be probably at least several hundred stars, maybe a thousand. And the Orion cluster, there's people have guessed about a thousand of stars, maybe. So star clusters can be just a f- maybe a few dozen stars, or it can be uh, a thousand or a few thousand. But if it had something like millions of stars, uh, often that would be called the globular cluster. Mm-hmm. And we, Dan, we had two. Uh, podcasts in 2019 uh, about galaxies, you remember? Yeah. And the first one was called uh, Galactic Wonders. <laughs> and then the second one, you had you had some fun with the title of that one. You you used a takeoff on Shakespeare on that one, you remember? ARP, uh, what light through yonder telescope breaks? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that. I forgot about that. <laughs> we had fun with that program. So, so we talked about galaxy clusters in those programs. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, what we're now talking about is smaller clusters that wouldn't be considered a galaxy, and they may not be in a galaxy or orbiting a galaxy. Galaxy clusters uh, usually orbit a galaxy, but uh Something like the Pleiades is not necessarily orbiting a galaxy, I don't think. But uh, in the Pleiades, um, it was discovered in the 1700s. It was in the uh, Messier catalog. It has the number M45. Um, well, now and, let's clarify for people because you just okay. we we just said that the Pleiades go all the way back to the ancient world, and now you just said they were discovered. What was discovered again? Well, when they were uh, seen and cataloged first in the star catalogs. Oh, in a star catalog, in terms of an official yeah, astronomy a, catalog like we we would know today. Yeah, we we talked about. Uh, galaxies in the Messier Messier catalog. That catalog, well, yes. That catalog by Messier, Charles Messier, was um, in seventeen seventy one. Okay. And, and the Pleiades were given a number then. What number are the Pleiades? M forty five, aren't they? Yeah, M forty five. That's right. I think it's just kind of interesting that they're all blue stars, and the normally since these stars are very similar to each other. It's usually assumed that they originated together, and mm-hmm. the the origin of these stars has always been a, a interesting puzzle. And scientists have actually had difficulty with explaining the origin of these kind of clusters because it's uh, you know science tends to focus on the origin of a star or the origin of a galaxy, but something like these are kind of in the middle. Okay, in terms of size, in the number of stars in it. So when it's uh, 
a smaller group of stars, it's actually harder to explain the origin. Mm. Um, how, how can you get this group of stars to form together? And it's not as big as a galaxy. Mm. Did it, was it somehow kicked out of a galaxy? Or how did this happen? Right. And, and then there's sometimes these clusters, although most of the stars will be very similar, there's some oddballs sometimes in there that are different. And mm-hmm. how did that happen? So um, those are some questions that come up with star clusters. Well, there's uh, my favorite one is in the constellation of Hercules. It's the great globular cluster in Hercules. I believe there's some 300,000 stars all clustered together. It's a globular because they're all tightly packed. A globular cluster of stars like our sun, just stars like our sun, just packed together in a hive of beautiful, wonderful. It's my most favorite telescope object to see, telescope object to see is these is these brilliant uh, stars all just clustered and packed together. It is absolutely incredible. One thing I wanted to mention before we go on to more science here, um, the there is a universality of this myth of the lost Pleiades sister. It's all over the world. This isn't just Greek mythology. It's European, African, Asian, uh, Native American, Australian populations. There is a worldwide um, myth about a lost star, and uh, nobody knows. There's no record of a supernova in the... In the, in the uh... Yeah, there seems like there's lots of different myths or stories about this, and the, lots of stories have been uh, invented to kind of explain this uh-huh, or uh-huh. relate it to mythology somehow. Right. And nobody really knows what the, everybody seems to say there is something, something got lost. There's a lost star, but uh, the stories around how and why that happened or what that meant are, are unknown. Uh, to us in that in that capacity, but uh, it's interesting that that world it's it's almost like flood stories. We did a podcast a couple of months about a month ago about about flood stories from uh, all the Amer- all the tribes, native peoples of the Americas, North, South, Central Americas have flood stories that sound like Genesis. Yes. And um, I've tried to think in the past unsuccessfully. I need to dig into it more. What in the Bible could have possibly may have may have described what has happened i don't know or maybe it was just a natural event that happened a long time ago that that there was a supernova and a star has since disappeared from record uh, before that we kept records uh uh, dan there was a recent article i i came across this was a a science articles that was assigned some scientists were thinking um if you go back in time uh, about a hundred thousand years it could be that some of the Pleiades stars were a little farther apart and it might have made them easier to see as, as separate okay. objects. But uh, I'm a little skeptical that it would have looked different back in human yeah, history. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Maybe one star has gone hidden behind the other stars. You might think that. But with our telescopic technology, we can separate stars um, binary stars. We talked to David Bradstreet, who's a binary star expert, and they can visually, even though you can't see it, you can you can visually uh, see an eclipsing binary. You can, if there are binary pairs, they usually orbit, 
and you can tell that there's a, a light spectrum change as these pairs orbit, though you can't see the stars because they're so close together. But when one light spectrum signature changes, that you know one star is passing in front of the other and it goes back to its regular thing. You can That's how you find binary stars. So with our technology, we know there's no hiding right. stars. Um, so it's really, it's one of those wonderful things. Like we say a lot of times, at least I do on the show, I love mysteries. I love when we can say, I don't know. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, and how did how did they come up with the, how did people come up with the stories about seven uh-huh. sisters or seven or whatever in the past when all they had was right, the naked eye? Right, so it must have been something that you can, you could have seen um, for sure. Now, uh, on a technical note, the star cluster itself, when you're looking at it, is about on average uh, somewhere between the neighborhood of um, 300 uh, the stars vary in distance anywhere from uh, about 350 light years to 450 light years away from us. So if light distances are accurate, just as a as a as a uh, pers- bit of perspective, you're looking at the Pleiades. If you went out tomorrow morning and you looked at them, you're looking at light that has traveled for 400 years on average to get here. So the Pleiades starlight that you see this season will have left the stars. Back in 1600, when Galileo was just inventing the telescope, or had just invented the telescope, where Kepler <laughs> yeah. was born, <laughs> go all the way, yeah, b- going all the way back to the light, the, the the photons on their little journey that left the stars that enter your eyes. If you see a photo, the, the photons of the Pleiades that you you take into your eyes uh, left the star cluster back in the days of Kepler and Bra and Tycho, uh, Tycho and Kepler and Galileo. How about that? <laughs> but that's yeah, that's if if light distance travel is uh, we we still don't know what's going on there. There's a lot. Yeah, what this, the the how light travels across space is still, there's some, still questions some questions about, about that. that. But these these are not too far. They I mean, are. That's 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 a uh, that's a walk in the park yeah. uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> light distances. That's pretty small. Yeah, and uh, so so yeah. there's there's. Um, they're they're all like you said they're all they're all blue stars and uh, something just just on a technical note this is no big deal but the magnitude is what makes them um, visible so the the main ones have a magnitude of the parent magnitude which you see is anywhere from a two to a three now what that means is the so if you have negative magnitude like if you go into negative numbers if it was like a negative 2 or a negative 3 or whatever the star is brighter the 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 positive numbers the star gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer so neg- uh positive 2s and 3s you can see easy well if you're in a dark sky um but the magnitude of the stars is 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 a pretty it's a 2 3 and 4 so it's something that you 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 really need to get out from underneath uh city lights uh to see them and um and then we we can do that here. It's it's wonderful where I live. But uh, Wayne, do you have some more stuff about globular clusters? I want to. Um... Well, you know, I was just thinking. Let's. I, I want to get back to what the. That's what I. That's what I thought. Passages yeah, are really emphasizing. Yeah. So, it, rather than taking Job like I used to about it, talking about science, I don't think the Bible is making a point that's about science. It's emphasizing something about God, and, and so God was just th- making Job think about things that he had no That's control right. of. They, the things out in space, or thing even among in the animal right. world, even 
are out, out of our control and God has made all of this and he, uh, God is in control well, of everything. So it's really more about God's that is, sovereignty. Uh, that is absolutely true. And I think, you know, the tendency today for us is to, um, to read science into the text. We all, have, we've done it. We try not to do it here on Good Heavens. Uh, we try to let the, the Bible explain itself uh, without bringing modern knowledge of modern science. There's nothing wrong with science. We're not saying that per se. But when we read our science into the, to the ancient text, we read information that the, the Bible writers didn't have. You have to be very careful that we're not trying to uh, what the, what are they what's the fancy word isegete adding your interpretation to what the text is rather than understanding what the text is saying and we've talked about this off camera when we're off camera <laughs> we're not on camera Wayne are we on camera I hope not <laughs> I, I hope not <laughs> excuse me um, but yeah in keeping with that spirit uh as you just said the, the 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 passages that we read are about God's sovereign control over what he has created and there's not a wasted word in scripture um and so what we read in the old testament is is God's telling man that look I made the stars I can control them you can't and it's always it's always foreshadowing when you when you look at the old testament you always want to think about in, in what way might this be pointing to Christ. I mean, that's been my thing. I mean, I try to, we, we, we always try to bring it back to Jesus as much as we can. So in Job, in Job, God is telling Job, you can't do this. Or, you know, can you? He's asking rhetorical questions, right? Can you do this? Can you guide this? Can you guide the stars, right. Job? <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't. And um, now, without making a, a spurious connection, I do want to mention something uh, about what Jesus says about binding and loosing in Matthew 18. And you pointed it out. Um, our duty to each other in relationships. What does God desire of the church? That we are unified, right? Does Jesus, Jesus praise yes. that we are, uh-huh. we are one, um, that, we are, that when we get along, when we love each other, the world will know us by our love for each other. So there's that sense yeah. of unity that Jesus is saying for his church. And then in Revelation, you know, he goes through that the list of those churches, the seven churches. It's interesting, Wayne, because I, I don't know if there's this connection to that, but the seven churches, one of them, Jesus says, if you're not faithful, I'm going to take away your lampstand, you know? And I don't I have no idea if that's related to the stars or not, but those seven churches get seven different messages. And one of those churches gets the message. I, I don't know which one it is. I forgot. But uh, one of them, Jesus says, you know, repent, or, or I'm going to take away your lampstand, basically. I'm going to take away your light. But in Matthew 18, right. he's saying that, uh, you know, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And this is not saying that you can pray and move the stars. <laughs> it's not saying that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but but it is it is kind of a sense of being bound together in the body of Christ that, uh, you know, I had a difficulty at church a while back, and I, I went to my elders, and we resolved it. And that's how you're supposed to do church. Go to your pastoral authority and talk to talk about it. And, um, you know, we agreed. There was five of us or four of us, and we agreed on a solution, and that was that. And um, so... In relationships, you know, the Pleiades, what we talked about, about the, the Japanese word for Subaru or unity, 
That's what Jesus wants us to be, is, is unified in Christ on the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so, you know, he ends this passage in Matthew 18, where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So that's talking about church discipline and our relationships. But it does show the importance of being unified in how you go about dealing with 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 relationships in the church and then of course Jesus is praying in John about the church being being one and being unified and that that the church will be known by her love and then the the body of Christ in in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 we're talking about you know there the body has many parts and you can't the hand can't say to the eye I have no need of you that uh, we do church in community with people and um you know in in some weird way the pleiades the the star cluster stars clustering together can sort of remind you of 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 the unity that that Jesus wants for us in the church. Yeah, so the, yeah, so the Pleiades are a group of like stars moving in the same direction, and that's kind of the way Christians should be. That we're kind of this same, we're going in going the same going in the same direction, direction under the guidance of uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in in the way in which God has, yes. has created us. And and we did a whole episode on stars in the Bible where we mentioned how stars can be poetic metaphors for people and for for angels daniel sure. 12 3 genesis 15 5 what does jesus say abraham's descendants will be like the stars in the sky count them if you're able to abraham right um, but we are lights uh, paul says this jesus says this in matthew 5 you wayne spencer dan ray you are lights of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden nobody turns on a lamp and puts a basket right. over it um, but but turns yep. on the lamp so everybody has light in the house, and uh, so we are lights. We are we shine like stars. That's what Daniel twelve three says. So um, yeah, and if you think about the whole uh, the whole canopy of space above us at night, Dan, and of all all these stars, uh, if you notice it at night, the Pleiades still stand out even though yes. they're small, because they're so beautiful. I mean, this is how God wants our lives to be. We are in a kind of in a in a sea of a dark world of unbelief, really, and we are lights in the dark. That's a good way to put it. I think that's exactly the, the best way to put it. That we we shine as lights in the world. We may seem small. Remember, David was small, and uh, he brought food to yeah. his brothers out on the battlefield, and then heard some pretty nasty things being shouted at them. And David says. Who's this guy? You know, so yeah. you can be small, but uh, as a friend of mine on Twitter today reminded me, people watch you, people see what you do. You don't see it, but uh, people do, and you may never know who watches you, but but um, but somebody is. People are always seeing you. You know, I mean, yeah, and God values us not based on size or intelligence right. or right. Um, a lot of well, one characteristic things. is for sure about the stars, about Pleiades, is as we noted earlier about the cultures being able to look at them and tell time, and be look at them and be able to understand harvesting, when to harvest, when to plant. Um, that God built this mechanism into the world for us, for His glory. Um, but also to remind us of his faithfulness. God talks about his faithfulness in Jeremiah 30 and Jeremiah 31, where he compares his covenant faithfulness to 
his new covenant faithfulness, which he's talking about Jesus, uh, to the fixed order of the heavens. So the, the regularity of the universe, Wayne, it gives us science, it gives us seasons, it gives us signs, um, but it gives us reminders of God's faithfulness. Every time of year, the, yes, Pleiades, the Pleiades will be where they are until Jesus returns. He guarantees that. Seed time mm-hmm. and harvest, cold and winter, the, the, the fixed order, that regularity is going to be there year after year because God promised it would be. The scary thing to me, or it's not scary. Well, I mean, I guess it is. The, the the funny thing, or I don't, I don't even know what the what the right word is. But in a non-Christian worldview, Wayne, they cannot explain or attest as to why nature is regular. They know it is, but they have no explanation for why why this regularity. So day after day, night after night, why is the universe so regular, predictable, and intelligible? Yeah, to to try and explain where the natural physical laws yeah. come from is it, beyond, beyond science. science. Uh, it, I go back to Job thirty-eight and verse thirty-three again. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Yeah, yeah. Now we would like to think that <laughs> we do, Dan, but we've only learned small bits and pieces of it. the The second part is: Can you set up God's dominion over no. the earth? No, we cannot control the earth no. as a planet. We are, that's beyond. I us. think uh, I like to think of the natural laws as, you know, we're just kindergartners. We're, we delight with our crayons, right? But uh, five-year-olds, four-year-olds discovering crayons for the first time don't know exactly all the the sixty-four colors that are in the big box, right? They usually focus on the black or the red, or maybe some of the kids get them all out. But but we're like satisfied with a couple of colors. And really, the, the the universe is probably filled with laws we haven't even begun to discover. I we just talked to Jason Lyle uh, a couple of uh, recorded an interview about a month ago with Jason, and he's he's like I I doubt we've even started we've exhausted everything that we can possibly know about the universe. Every time some a telescope goes up or a satellite goes up, we discover something new. So um, if you haven't heard Jason's interview. Uh, go back and watch that. The Mandelbrot set, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mathematical equation um, that was just discovered uh, uh, by supercomputing in the 1980s. They discovered that designs came out of running this equation through a supercomputer. Brilliant. Yes, and Dan, let me let me make a comment about fractals. Yeah. Fractals are often related to something in science that's called chaos theory. Uh-huh. Jason explained that. He did, yeah. Now... I think chaos theory is a, a misnomer. Yeah, it I is. I think it should be. I think it should be called meta order or something. Mm-hmm. It's really a, a different kind of order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not really chaos. Right. Right. Exactly. But it, it's it can produce patterns that kind of look like chaos. Yes. But yet it's a it's an order on a different level. Different, different order level. That's a, a different level order. It's, it's an order of a different kind. Yeah. And uh, but I, I bring up the fractals in our, my conversation with Jason because the stars are arranged in particular patterns that God has. These aren't just randomly appearing in the sky. God has arranged the stars the way they are. Um, and I'm sure the more we investigate them, the more we see patterns. And I mean, this was the work in uh, uh, of early astronomy in the early 20th century, 
where we were people discovered that stars had fingerprints they had stellar spectra you could run starlight through a pyramid or, or uh, not a pyramid what do you call those things a um what do you, what's the triangular brush? uh you mean a prism prism thank you pyramid what did i say <laughs> well it's kind of like a pyramid prism is <laughs> a different. triangle or whatever i said i don't even remember what he said but anyway they were learning how to it's called a spectrograph where you run starlight and the starlight breaks down in wavelengths and you can tell uh what elements are present in its atmosphere and what composition it's made of and so stars have individual fingerprints just like we do there's no star yes no, no two stars have the exact same stellar signature and it's right. fascinating and absolutely fascinating that that all these stars have that much variety it's like snowflakes <laughs> there's no two snowflakes that have ever been the same and snowflakes are fractals mm-hmm. um the repeating patterns they're just beautiful yes so um the, the the mandelbrot said if you haven't watched that it's a video podcast and a podcast you need to check that out it's just the most fascinating thing and jason's book is beautiful the the, the fractals book it's just absolutely fantastic but uh they just discovered these designs in 1980 <laughs> right under our nose this whole time, but nobody had the super brain to do all the equations and to plot the graph and to, to, to get these things. But now that we have big computers that can do all this stuff, these designs are phenomenal. So it's a mathematical universe that we just just discovered 40 years ago. Yeah, and then once they discovered the mathematics, then they started seeing this in all kinds of places. Absolutely, absolutely. And Jason said it's, uh, you know, he was talking about, uh, I asked him, I said, uh, does this equation have any use? <laughs> He's like, no, <laughs> it, it's just beautiful. Uh, there's no, there's no practical <laughs> use for it. it but uh, you know, but that's the thing about it, you know, Wayne. That, that God can create things for beauty. Um, they don't have to, you know, they don't, they don't have to have a practical utilitarian value. God, they just declare God's glory. That's good enough, you know. Um, so anyway. Um, uh, what else can we say about the Pleiades? I think we've covered quite a bit of ground, um, and it's it's beautiful. Go outside uh, in the morning if it's October, November, and uh, you know as it gets into December, January, uh, they'll be up in the evening sky. But uh, check out the Pleiades. Go out in the backyard, see if you can find them on your own. See if you can. Yes, find- and I, I found a very good high resolution image from NASA and the ESA. Excellent. And I, I'll put an article on my blog that will be. Uh, I will have a really beautiful picture of the Pleiades. Excellent. It'll be great. Well, Wayne, I think we've covered a lot of Pleiades ground. I hope uh, our listeners have been edified and encouraged. And when you look up at the Pleiades, you can remember unity and um, being together, shining our light in community with one another, which is what uh, the stars can remind us of. Absolutely. All right, Wayne. Well, um, I'll let my listeners know. Well, no, no. By the time they hear this, I'll already be back from vacation. I'm recording this before vacation. So um, by the time this airs, I will already have been back. But uh, anyway, I hope everybody's enjoying yeah. fall. And uh, our birthdays are coming up, by the way. Yours is coming up when? Um, the 29th. And mine's on the 1st of November. So um, happy birthday to you, Wayne. Whoa, I didn't realize <laughs> they were that close together. Yeah, we go through this every year. You don't yeah. remember? Well, I didn't knew they were close. I just didn't remember exactly when you were Yeah, close. yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to be in California on the 29th, and, uh, and so I won't see you for happy birthday, but uh, happy birthday. You're going to be, uh, what, uh, 27? Uh, a little more than that. 20, 30, 32. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
Have a happy birthday. You don't have to tell me on the air what uh, how old you're going to be. <laughs> That's Good. all right. That's all right. Okay. Um, well, we will see you next time, Wayne, right here on... Good heavens. 